And in the fourth year, notice, here it is again. In the fourth year, the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid in the month of Ziv. And then in the eleventh year, in the month of Bull, which is the eighth month, the house was finished in all its details according to all its plans. And so he was seven years in building it. More specifically, seven and a half years. All exclaiming, Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. It must always be remembered that under the Old Covenant, the temple was not for the people of Israel. It was only for the priests to meet with God on behalf of the people. The people gathered and worshipped in the outer courtyard. When the temple was finished, it was a spectacular building. It was easy for Israel to focus on the temple of God instead of the God of the temple. Yet without continued faithfulness to God, the temple's glory quickly faded. This glorious temple was plundered just five years after the death of Solomon. This is a good reminder to us believers that we need to continually focus on Jesus and not the world. Now here's Pastor Rob as he concludes chapter 6 in the book of 1 Kings. How many times has he heard this? I think God's trying to get his attention. Is God getting your attention about something? Has he told you? Have you been reading in the scripture and you come across a passage and you're like, oh, wow, I've heard that before. And it just kind of jumped off the page to me today. I wonder why that was. And then I was driving in my car on the way to work and I heard it on the radio. The same verse was being read to me. There's something about this verse. And when you see and experience things like that, take note. And understand that God is trying to speak to you. He says, that Then I will cut off Israel from the land which I have given them, and this house which I have consecrated for my name I will cast out of my sight. And he did that. Israel will be a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And as for this house, which is exalted, everyone who passes by it will be astonished and will hiss and say, Why has the Lord done this to this land and to this house. And then they will answer, because they forsook the Lord their God and brought their fathers out of, um, who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and have embraced other gods and worshiped them and served them. Therefore, the Lord has brought all of this calamity upon them. And again, why is this such a big deal? Well, it's, again, it's accountability. God makes sure that we know the consequences ahead of time. He does this for at least two reasons. Number one, that we might choose to do good and not to do evil, thus obeying him. And secondly, that we won't incur the consequences of his wrath when we do. See, God is holy and there are consequences. He doesn't want you to have the consequences. He said, seek life, seek me, and choose life rather than death. Seek life. Seek life.
Very similarly, when the children of Israel were about to go into the promised land, you remember what God spoke to them. And this is one, another one of their unfortunate faults. And I, I don't mean to bring out their faults because we all have them. But they're written here for our learning. And if I learn from this, then praise the Lord. But notice what God says in Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 16. And this is something he told them in advance, and they didn't do it. And they reaped the consequences for it. But he told them... Before they came into the promised land by the hand of Joshua, he said, But of the cities of these peoples, which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance, you shall, not, you shall let nothing that breathes remain alive, but you shall utterly destroy them, the Hittite and the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, just as the Lord your God has commanded you. And why is that? Because, lest they teach you to do according to all their abominations which they have done for their gods, and you sin against the Lord your God. God gave them plenty of time to turn from their sin. Remember that in Genesis 15? God says the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. You're not going over there yet, but once it is full, I'm going to cause you, Moses, to come, or I'm going to cause someone, and he's speaking about Moses, then I will deliver your people when the iniquity of the Amorites was full. When it had gotten to the point where they were like beyond, God had had it, basically. He gave them hundreds of years to repent. They did not repent. And God says, okay, now there must come judgment. And he used his own people as the hammer of judgment against those seven nations that I just read to you, the Canaanites. And they dispossessed their land because of their sin. And God gave them everything that they had planted, all their vineyards, all their houses, all that stuff, he gave it to them. Why? Lest they do according to their abominations, which they have done. And this is why laws are so important to any society. People need to know where the boundaries are and what the consequences are for crossing that boundary. That's why we as parents, you know, with our kids, we have to do this for our kids. We have to place boundaries. That's why even local and federal governments have laws. They are boundaries. If you run through that red light, you're going to get a ticket. And if you do it enough, you're going to get your license revoked and you won't be able to drive again. Those are laws meant for good because why? It's very simple, actually. If you go through the red light, you and somebody else could very well die because somebody else is going through a green light. Makes a lot of sense. So I obey the law and I live. <laughs> and I'm, I've got much more money to be taxed with and give back to them. No, I'm just kidding. So, but even biblically, it makes sense. So... So Solomon finally, he builds this temple and he finalized it. He finished it. And he built the inside of the, of the temple with cedar boards. And from the floor of the temple to the ceiling, he paneled the inside with wood. And he covered the floor of the temple with planks of cypress. And then he built the 20-cubit room at the rear of the temple, which is uh, 30 feet, uh, from fo floor to ceiling with cedar boards. And he built it inside the inner sanctuary, which is the Holy of Holies, as the most holy place. And in front of the temple, sanctuary was 40 cubits long or 60 feet long. So that's called the holy place. It's twice as long as the Holy of Holies. And so the inside of the temple was cedar, carved with ornamental buds and open flowers. All was cedar. There was no stone to be seen. Do you know what cedar smells like? Doesn't it smell beautiful when you have like a cedar chest? Think of a whole, a whole temple, limestone, already chiseled out. It's all perfect. And then on the inside, you got these paneled cedar walls and ceilings and floors and the, air, the, the aroma coming from that. And then they're going to overlay that with gold. Watch what happens. So the inner sanctuary 
I'm sorry, excuse me. And he prepared the inner sanctuary or the Holy of Holies inside the temples to set the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord there. And the inner sanctuary was 20 cubits long or 30 feet. If you do 20 times 18, 18 inches divided by 12, you get that, you get 30 feet. And so he overlaid it with pure gold and overlaid the altar of cedar. And so Solomon overlaid the inside of the temple with pure gold, and he stretched gold chains across the front of the inner sanctuary and overlaid it with gold. The whole temple he overlaid with gold until he had finished it, all the temple. Also, he overlaid with gold the entire altar that was by the inner sanctuary. Speaking of the altar of incense right, at, right in front of the Holy of Holies, so inside the, sanctu- the inner sanctuary, he made two cherubim of olive wood, each 10 cubits high. So in this 30-foot cube, or holy of holies, he created these cherubim. Now, one thing you have to understand is, you remember the Ark of the Covenant. It was a gold box, basically, right? And in it was the, the, two, uh, the t- two tablets of the Ten Commandments that God wrote with his own finger, right? I'd love to get a hold of that and take a look at that. Because there's going to be no chisel marks, do you understand? No chisel marks when God writes. <laughs> okay? But, so the, the two tables of stone are there, and then the mercy seat on top is built of all one piece with gold cherubims overlooking these angels with their wings overlooking in, looking down upon the mercy seat where the high priest would offer blood once a year on the Day of Atonement. But they were looking at that mercy seat. Now Solomon, when he builds this grand and glorious temple, he puts the Ark of the Covenant there, and it has the wings of the cherubim already because it's part of it. But now he's going to have these two cherubim, one on the left, one on the right, 15 feet tall, made of, uh, uh, what was it, um, uh, Olive, olive wood. He's made it of olive wood. And then he's going to cover that with gold. And the wings are going to span 15 feet. They're going to be 15 feet tall. And the wings are going to go over 15 feet right over the Ark of the Covenant, which has another set of cherubim looking down on the mercy. Everybody's looking at the mercy seat. The mercy seat. And we'll get into that in just a minute. So then he set the cherubim inside the inner room and they stretched out the wings of the cherubim so that the wing of one touched one wall and the wing of the other cherub touched the other wall and their wings touched each other in the middle of the room where the Ark of the Covenant was. So the Ark of the Covenant was between the cherubim and, um, and again, if you read Exodus chapter 25, it talks about this Ark of the Covenant. It's a separate piece of furniture which we know is in there. And why is this such a big deal? You know, you think about... These cherubim all looking in on the mercy seat. They're looking in. Their wings are over like this, and they are looking at that place where blood was shed, where blood would be offered once a year on the Day of Atonement by the high priest. Why is that such a big deal? Do you remember when we were in John chapter 20 recently? It says in John chapter 20, verse 11, again, remember how I've been talking about types? Types? I've been talking about that tonight, right? Well, in John chapter 20, verse 11, it says that Mary Magdalene stood outside the tomb weeping on the resurrection morning. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb and noticed what she saw. She saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the foot, at the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. So what picture do you picture in your mind right there? Any Jew would get it. The body of Jesus, bloody and broken, 
in between where it was before he rose, and now these two cherubim. Who's the mercy seat? Jesus. Once and for all, taken for us. Sin once and for all dealt with on that. That's why it's such a big deal. That's why the type is so important. Do you see that? So even back in the Old Testament, God was making sure this type was well established. So he's very... Serious about types, and that's why Moses had to pay the price of not being able to go in because he broke the type that God had told him to do. If he had just obeyed God, he would have done that perfectly. But God wasn't, his hand wasn't shortened because of Moses' anger. In his grace, he still allowed the water to come out, even though he whacked it twice in anger. He still allowed the water because of his mercy and grace. But he said, Solomon, or Moses, I was establishing something here, and I know you don't understand it. And thank God it's all written for us in Exodus 17 and Numbers 20 because we see the type. He was stricken once. Just hit the rock once. Jesus is the rock of our salvation. Just hit the rock once. Strike it once because that's all that needs to happen. You don't need to continue to crucify Christ every single Passover or every single, you know, it's not the, you know, we do it in commemoration or in memory, but we're not doing it literally, right? He died once. That's why when we take communion, we don't have some kind of, you know, box that we put the thing in and do some kind of, you know, smoke and mirrors and the very body and blood of Christ coming to you. And then they come out and give it to you, the very body and blood of transubstantiation. It's not true. It's heretical. The sacrifice of the Mass, and I'm sorry if you're Catholic or if there's Catholics watching, but it's heretical. The Bible tells us he died once and for all. And to make it look like you're sacrificing Christ over and over again, you're wasting your time and you're going against the word of God. You have to live with that. (laughs) Get right with God. Repent. (laughs) Your heart may be right, but get into the word of God and find out what it says. Don't believe what some priest tells you. Find out what the word of God is. If he's not reading you to the word of God, you better leave. Leave and run out if he's not sharing with you the word of God. If you go to any church and they're not reading to you the word of God, run out. Because my opinion on anything doesn't matter. But this matters. And what I'm sharing with you, we're looking at in the Bible, aren't we? That's important. So I know I'm running a little bit late. We're, we're almost finished here. So thanks for your patience. So it was, again, a type. These cherubim, these 15-foot cherubim overlooking the mercy seat. A picture of Christ in his burial of the, the, the bloody lamb of God as he was wrapped in those cloths, looking down upon that. And notice verse 28 in, back in our text tonight in 1 Kings uh, 6. Also he overlaid the cherubim with gold. Think of how beautiful this is. And then he carved all the walls of the temple all around, both the inner and the outer sanctuaries, with carved figures of cherubim and palm trees and open flowers. And the floor of the temple he overlaid with gold, both the inner and the outer sanctuaries. And think of how this must have looked. I can't, I, I gotta say this. The lampstands on the left side, as they're, they're, the lamps, are, and Solomon put ten of them in there, I believe. And they're all burning. And can you imagine the light and the reflection and how that must look in there? It would blow your mind. It would inspire reverence. If it doesn't, then you're not breathing. You're probably dead if it doesn't do something to you. Yes, glory. And it all represents the Lord. And so um, 
For the entrance of the inner sanctuary, he made doors of olive wood. The lentil and the doorposts were one-fifth of the wall. The two doors were of olive wood, and he carved of them figures of cherubim, palm trees, open flowers, overlaid them with gold. And he spread gold on the cherubim and on the palm trees. So for the door of the sanctuary, he also made doorposts of olive wood, one-fourth of the wall. And the two doors were of cypress wood. Two panels comprised one folding door, and two panels comprised the other folding door. And then he carved cherubim, palm trees, and open flowers on them, and he overlaid them with gold, applied evenly on the carved work, and he built the inner court with the three rows of hewn stone and a row of cedar beams. And in the fourth year, notice, here it is again, in the fourth year, the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid in the month of Ziv, and then in the eleventh year... In the month of Bull, which is the eighth month, the house was finished in all its details according to all its plans, and so he was seven years in building it. More specifically, seven and a half years. He built that. And why is this temple so significant? Well, number one, it's a symbol of God's presence with his people. It was their center of worship. It was a reminder of the seriousness of sin and God's mercy certainly at the altar where they would burn the offerings and sacrifice. It prepared the people for the true focus of the temple, Jesus Christ, and it was a place of prayer. And remember that the tabernacle and the temple were copies or shadows of heavenly things. The very throne room of God right now somehow has some semblance of what was at the tabernacle, and what is now at the temple. In fact, the tabernacle and the temple, the only difference between the two of them was basically all the same furniture was in there. Um, you know, in the, in the tabernacle, you walk in, and, um, well, when you're in the outer court, you have the, the, the altar, and then you have the laver, where after they sacrificed and burnt the offering, they would wash. And then you go into the temple, and immediately on your left would be the lampstand, the menorah. And then on your right side would be the table of showbread. Right directly in front of you would be an altar of incense where they would burn incense constantly. There'd be a, a very thick wall of, of, of drapes, basically. And on the other side of that would be the Ark of the Covenant, which no one could go in but once a year, and only the high priest. And so... And the only, the only difference between that and Solomon's temple was Solomon made it bigger and he added more lampstands and more tables of showbread, but there was one altar of incense. And right beyond that, beyond those doors that we read about, was the Ark of the Covenant. And these two 15-feet gold cherubims made of olive wood overlaid with gold going in were looking, at, looking upon it. I mean, the whole thing is just wow. And we'll say this and then we'll finish. In Exodus, when he made the tabernacle, God gave to Moses very specific instruction. He says, Let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell among them according to all that I show you, that, it, that, that is, the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all of its furnishings, so shall you make it. Why was that such a big deal? Well, in Hebrews, it gives us the answer. The author of Hebrews says in chapter 8, verse 3, For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one, speaking of Jesus, also have something to offer. For it was... 
For if he were on the earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, and, and God is speaking to Moses, he said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. So all of these things weren't just happenstance. It wasn't like David, you know, giving the plans, the blueprint to Solomon. He wasn't just making this stuff up. No, God gave it to him. He gave it to him. He gave him the blueprint. And David says, here, son, here's the blueprint. I can't make it, but I can get all the materials for you, but here it is. Everybody help him. Everybody, far and wide, all throughout Israel, everybody give an offering and, and let's get this done, you know. And that's what he did. And that's what he did. It's a pattern of things of the heavenlies, the very throne room of God. I love that. You know, there's nothing, and, and what, what encourages me about this chapter and, and the types that we saw in it already is just to know that the Bible's filled with these things. And it's not by coincidence either. These things are here for our learning and understanding. They, they have meaning there's meaning. God doesn't waste paper. He doesn't waste papyrus. He doesn't waste anything. It's all there for a reason. And what does it do? All of it points to who? It all points to Jesus. Think about it. The very tabernacle, the, the, the instruments, the, the pieces of furniture in the, in the temple, the lampstand, the light of the world. He's the light of the world. The bread, the showbread. He's the bread of life. The altar of incense, you know, he intercedes for us. All these things, even the very sacrifices themselves, all go back to Christ. Leviticus, everything goes back to Christ. It all goes back to him. It's all about him. Didn't that what, isn't that what Paul said? And, uh, and I'll just finish with this because I'm a nut and I've got to read it. It's in chapter 1 of Colossians, uh, verses uh, 16. Paul says, For by him, Christ, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church, He's ahead of all of us. Who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Isn't that wonderful? Everybody, I know you're tired. You're like, when is he going to stop? Well, we're going to stop now. But everybody smile. That in all things that he might have the preeminence. Yes. That's what it's all about. So let's stand and let's pray and get out of here. <laughs> Oh, what a joy, isn't it? Isn't the word of God wonderful? I just love it. I love it, I love it. Father, we just thank you for this time. Thank you for these types, Lord. Thank you for these things in your word. And Lord, as we journey through uh, kings and just see Solomon's uh, reign and uh, the glory of it and also the big mistakes that he made, Father, may we learn from these things, Lord, and never think that we're somehow above Lord, but rather we are just cut of the same cloth. Unless we're, unless we're obedient to you, Lord, we're going to fall. We're going to fall and over and over again. So, Lord, help us to be obedient children. Lord, help us to hear at once and be willing to obey and not test you, not, not provoke you, Lord. Uh, cleanse our hearts, Lord, and, and just, bring us to your, to your, and just bring us into your likeness. Lord, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name.
I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Kings. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as our location, service times, information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, and information regarding Bread of Life Academy, our new school opening in the fall of 2023. Just click the school link at the top of the page for more information. Additionally, you may also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play Podcast or Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.